You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. On this weekend show, how researchers at York University developed a computer vision system to track a hockey puck in a game. Also ahead, we mark Black History Month, and we learn more about the Hospital to Home program at Markham Stouffville Hospital and how it helps with patient recovery. Those stories are just ahead. But with Valentine's Day around the corner, a new poll examines what Canadians really want on this day of romance. Ebates.ca's VP of Marketing, Belinda Bonnier, breaks down the numbers. Belinda, welcome to the feed. Thank you so much for having me. Now, the headline of the Ebates poll was that Canadians are spending more than ever on Valentine's Day. Is this just a consumer holiday now? You know what? It seems that although many of us think that way, our actions actually speak louder than words in this case. So, you know, more than ever, as you say, people are spending more on Valentine's Day. It's up almost 30% from last year. So most people think they're averaging about $75 on a Valentine's Day gift. Wow. Where do they find the time and the money? Um, And what about, there's a bit of bad news in this uh, poll as well, isn't there? Yeah, you know, I think that some Canadians obviously feeling that Valentine's Day is is not terrific. Um, we ask about things that have happened maybe that aren't so loving and wonderful on Valentine's Day. Um, we're finding a lot of people referencing breakups during this time of the year. Actually, 17% of Canadians saying that they've suffered a relationship breakup right around Valentine's Day. And the number rises over 25% for those people under the age of 35. And you call it one of those love or hate occasions. Why do you say that? You know, I think people really either embrace the holiday or it seems like maybe they ignore it altogether. So what we're finding is that, you know, Canadians like to show the love. There's lots of different things that people talk about doing for Valentine's Day. Um, But some people feeling like they really ignore it altogether. And was there a difference between um, habits of men or women? You know, we didn't really look at men versus women. I think, you know, a lot of expectation around the guys this time of year. Um, what we did find that um, we did ask about were proposals. So obviously, this is a super romantic occasion. Um, 57% of Canadians think it's a good idea to be proposed to on Valentine's Day, Um, but also, you know, special occasions ranking high for that, so an anniversary of a first date or something that is meaningful to the couple, not a holiday that celebrates love. So it may be the grand romantic gesture or a cliche, it doesn't really matter, right? That's right. You know, I think what we're seeing is lots of people have 
plans, lots of people obviously have some pretty strong opinions about how they'd like to celebrate. So we also asked what the top gifts that people wanted to receive for Valentine's Day. Um, really, a lot of event tickets was ranked pretty high. Dining out is the number one. So over 30% of people saying, you know, it would be great to just go out for a nice meal with their partner. Um, and interestingly, 8% of people saying maybe they just want some cash. <laughs> <laughs> now that's romantic. <laughs> that's romantic, right? Wow. And is gift giving kind of easy for Valentine's Day as compared to other holidays or other occasions? You know, I think there's a lot of fallbacks. So people saying that Valentine's Day is actually one of the easier gift occasions to shop for. People saying that they have harder time shopping for birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, all of those things when it's harder to shop for than Valentine's Day. So I think there's a lot of standbys during this time of year that people fall back on. Um, and also what's interesting is people saying that they're treating their kids to Valentine's Day gifts more so than ever before. So whether you love or you hate Valentine's Day, Canadians feeling like it's a good occasion and maybe a good excuse just to show somebody, whether that's your partner or your kids, that you appreciate them and that you love them and that there's something to be said about that feeling in the middle of February, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know what, we could all use a bit of a pick-me-up at this time of year, especially after the, the kind of weather we've been experiencing the last little while. Absolutely. I mean, it's a nice warm feeling to get something nice from somebody who you care about and have them show that they're thinking about you. So I say, why not? Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, Belinda. Thank you so much. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. Once Valentine's Day is come and gone, you may need to start looking ahead to tax time. Christy Laverty caught up with Paul Murphy from the Canada Revenue Agency for the step-by-step. So today we're joined by Paul Murphy from the CRA, and we're going to talk taxes, which for a lot of people is not something that they get excited about, um, because when we talk about all of that paperwork and receipts and forms, it can be a little bit nerve-wracking for people. So, Paul, thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. So one of the things that when we we look towards tax time, because we've got several weeks before people really need to get everything done, but they're probably looking at, you know, if they're people who haven't prepared, you know, on a month to month basis, you know, you're looking to collect things and put everything together. So maybe talk to us about some of the things that people should be doing to prepare as we move closer to that tax filing date? Sure. There's a couple of things to, to keep in mind. Uh, as the end of February approaches, you'll keep an eye on your uh, your mailbox to make sure you get all of your T4 slips, your slips from uh, all of your payers uh, and employers uh, together because they're due to you February the 28th, so you should have them by then. Um, you should also be uh, looking around for uh, ways to prepare your tax returns. Uh, we recommend filing electronically because it's the fastest way to get your return done. Uh, you can go 
go to our uh, website, which is uh, canada.ca slash taxes, and you'll see there's a whole list of uh, certified software that you can use. Uh, some of the software packages are free, depending on the uh, manufacturer and your income. So these are all things you can uh, keep an eye out for and, and uh, get yourself uh, prepared. So now for some people it's simple enough that they can effectively do their own taxes. And that isn't always the case for everyone. And sometimes people feel uncomfortable um, doing their own. So what kind of things should they be thinking about if, for example, they're going to hire somebody um, to do the taxes for them? That's an option that's available to you. You can go to a professional tax preparer or an accountant to do your taxes for you. Uh, there are individuals, uh, if your income is, is modest, so below around uh, thirty dollars to $40,000 range, uh, there are community organizations throughout Ontario and throughout York Region that will uh, do your tax return for you for free. And this is part of our Community Volunteer Income Tax Program. So you can check our website or call us and we'll let you know if there's any uh, services available in your area. That's fantastic. I didn't even know that that existed. And I would imagine that there's probably a number of people that don't. um, Because, you know, as you're joining the workforce as a teenager, these are often things that you're learning for the first time about what it means, um, you know, to file taxes and what a T4 really is. Exactly. Yeah, and there, there are important reasons to know about why you should be filing a tax return. I mean, first of all, if you owe taxes, then you have to file. But if you don't have any tax payable, if you have a minimal income, you should still be filing your return because that gets you entitlement to benefits like the Canada Child Benefit if you have children or the quarterly GST, HST credit, or there's the Ontario Trillium Benefit, which is uh, available to you if you pay rent or you have uh, property taxes or sales tax. Uh, there's a whole range of credits and benefits that you should be filing your tax return to receive. And that's the thing probably, um, you know, that people find challenging with taxes. For a lot of people, taxes mean a bad thing, but that isn't always the case. That you, There are things that you can have access to, like you said, benefits that we maybe don't even know about. And of course, it, everybody has a responsibility to file their tax return. That's exactly right. And another thing I want to mention this year is for Ontario residents, you have to file a tax return to get what's called the Climate Action Incentive. It's a brand new refundable credit that every Ontario family is entitled to receive, regardless of your income. So that's another reason to make sure you've got your paperwork together and got your tax return done. And of course, when we're talking about taxes, um you know, it's different when you're an employee that you, you work for a company and you should be getting some forms from them. Um, when you are self-employed or you know, entrepreneur, there are a whole set of sort of different things that you need to be doing. Again, where can people go to find those resources? Maybe we're, you know, uh, talking to somebody who might be listening right now as, a, you know, a first-time entrepreneur. Right. I mean, start with our website, canada.ca slash taxes. There's a wealth of information on our website about uh, what your obligations are as a self-employed person, including getting a business number or registering to be a GST registrant and all of that uh, type of uh, requirements. That's all listed on our website. And we offer all sorts of... uh, outreach services uh, to the self-employed in particular. Uh, So definitely take advantage of the information available to you through our website or through calling our business inquiries number uh, 1-800-959-5525. And maybe we can um, talk a little bit about some of the common mistakes 
that people make when filing their taxes? Sure. There's a couple of uh, sort of red flags to be aware of. Uh, keep an eye on the calendar and file on time. That's number one. Uh, the the filing deadline for tw- your 2018 tax return is April 30th, 2019. Unless you're self-employed and then you have a little bit of extra time to uh, June the 17th. But make sure you get your tax return in on time, even if you can't afford to pay, because you'll avoid paying a late filing penalty, which is uh, 5% of your balance owing off the top, plus 1% per month to a maximum of 17%. So that's important to make the deadline. Um, and as I was talking about earlier with the uh, benefits uh, credits, if you don't file on time, they can be interrupted. So you may get cut off of your Canada Child Benefit if you and your spouse common law partner don't get your tax return into us uh, by April the 30th. So that's uh, mistake number one. Uh, make sure you get that uh, done. And for another thing to be aware of is you should uh, make sure you have your information with CRA up to date, your marital status, uh, your home address, mailing address. And if you have uh, direct deposit information and the bank account number, make sure that that's up to date because you don't want a refund going into the wrong bank account. Now, one of the things um, to think about again, maybe before we wrap up, is give us some of those dates that people should be looking for as far as, you know, those forms that you should be getting from your employer, um, that if you don't see them in the mailbox, maybe what people should be doing and then again those dates on you know when everybody needs to get those tax returns in by sure yeah february the 28th is when your uh, employer is uh, supposed to send the t4 slip to you so they may postmark it on the 28th and it takes a couple of days to get to you but you should get all your t4s by you know the first week of march and then the filing deadline again this year is april the 30th uh, and it's june the 17th if you're self-employed And again, maybe give us that website uh, that people can go to because, again, taxes can be complicated. And if you need more information or to find somebody that you can actually maybe call uh, Mm -hmm. to get help, uh, where can people go? Yeah, Canada.ca slash taxes is the uh, website. We have an individual inquiries phone line, which is 1-800-959-8281. And then the business inquiries uh, for your self-employed listeners is 1-800-959-5525. Thanks so much for joining us. And I know, you know, taxes can be difficult and overwhelming, but with all of the information there, uh, you're certainly giving everyone enough information to at least help them answer the questions and go to find the answers if they need to. Thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region. Next, we learn more about the Hospital to Home program at Markham Stouffville Hospital. Dr. Rashan Shafai, thank you for joining us on The Feed. Thank you for the invitation. Can you tell us a little bit about the Hospital to Home program? This program we have started at Markham Stouffville Hospital. Um, I'm the medical director for um, the sort of um, ALC program as well as care transitions uh, in Markham Silver Hospital and I, uh, my project started almost three years ago. Uh, we studied the um, sort of uh, tra- discharge of complex patients and the management of complex patients 
after the, their admission to the hospital and how they're transitioned to the community, how they're supported in the community. Um, and basically, there's many gaps in that area. So the program was designed and uh, we endeavor to uh, address the gaps in transition of complex patients from hospitals uh, back home and until their care is standardized and um, sort of uh, stable enough to be transferred to the uh, usual care providers, their family physician, the usual home care services and so on. Now, is the key to the program to keep elderly patients, especially in their homes rather than in the hospital? That's the main principle is exactly that. Um, for elderly patients coming to the hospital, when I talk to my patients, I call it a trauma. Um, it's traumatic to have to go to the emergency department. It's a different environment. The whole setup in the hospitals, uh, the way we keep the rooms, the way we have to uh, keep the lights on at all times, the level of noise and the unfamiliarity of the environment is very difficult for patients who are um, sort of um, who are elderly and also have other underlying medical um, uh, problems. Uh, they, there is a a phenomena of delirium, which is a very complex uh, neurologic, psychological phenomena. People get admitted to the hospital and they develop acute confusion. Really, some of it is because of their illness. Some of it is because of the uh, sort of hospital environment. And if you can manage patients with their illnesses early on before they get sick enough that needs hospitalization at their home, they're going to do better. And then Gradually, they start to thrive and, uh, you know, basically cope better at home. Uh, so that's the whole principle behind the hospital to home program is to uh, keep elderly patients, um, patients with complex medical problems at home and to uh, try to address their medical issues non-urgently as much as possible. Now, the Hospital to Home program is uh, going to celebrate its first anniversary at the Markham Stouffville Hospital later this month. How has the program grown since it was launched last February? Yes, uh, so we did a trial actually um, earlier in 2017 um, with some complex patients with heart, uh, heart failure. Uh, so the trial was successful. That's why we started the program. And uh, uh, like you say, um, uh, February 20th was the first day that our clinic was up and functioning. We had about um, 40 patients starting on February 20th. And now we're close to uh, we're over 550. Um, from our estimations, there's about 600, 700 complex patients in the Markham Stouffville area. Um, they are not registered anywhere, so it's actually very difficult to find these patients. The fact that we've been able to find these patients is a major success for our program. Um, We've done very well. We have a lot of uh, sort of success stories, both uh, the times when we've been very happy that we've helped patients and also times where uh, patients have uh, felt that they've been uh, supported, their families have felt that they've been supported in their own home environment or wherever they are in the healthcare system by our program. Um, we are working on sort of uh, developing the exact data and that should be coming soon too. Can you share with us, obviously, you know, uh, without sharing any names or specifics, but 
possibly a specific story about someone who has been helped by this program? Um, so I, I'll tell you one person because it just I just ran into her, uh, his daughter last night in the hospital. Um, uh, so there, one of our uh, first pilot patients was a, a lovely uh, elderly gentleman with chronic lung disease as well as heart failure, very weak muscle of the heart. Um, and uh, he was in and out of the emergency department and uh, long hospital admissions because because of the lung disease, he would get into trouble with his heart because of his heart, his lungs wouldn't be able to recover. Uh, so it was actually a very complex situation. Um, when we started seeing him, he was literally only sitting on the couch. Um, he would need assistance to get up to go to the bed where he would sleep even. And his blood pressure was so low. Every time the team would go to visit him uh, at home and they would contact uh, with me, um, they were so scared. I'm like, it's okay. He needs the medications. There's parameters they know and so on. So in this manner, we managed him uh, with frequent, uh, we have partnered with multiple uh, community organizations. One of our major partners are the community paramedics who go to patients' homes and uh, they assess the patient. They can do point of care blood testing on the patient and they actually, through a secure um, Ministry of Health uh, Skype network, it's called the Ontario Telehealth Network, they Skype with me. So it's like as if the patient has been to a clinic to see me, uh, and I'm a general internist, I'm a specialist in um, medicine. Uh, So it's like a clinic visit, but they're really at home. Um, Not only they see me, they also see another care professional, a community paramedic, who are actually very highly trained and they've taken extra courses to be able to do this kind of assessment. And they're getting blood works also. Wow. So in this fashion, yeah, it's actually really nice. (laughs) In this fashion, we monitor him and we partner also with the uh, home care services through the central bin. So we stagger our services. One week we go, the other week we tell them, okay, you guys watch for this. Concentrate on his diet like this. Concentrate on these issues, on his weight like this, uh, so on and so forth. So we coordinate the services that are provided to him at home. Within, it took a while, it took a while, a good uh, nine months, I would say. But this gentleman's blood pressure came up. He's not had to be uh, admitted to the hospital again. They actually started even talking about other modes of treatment for his heart failure and, you know, for his lung disease and things. And he literally thrived, started gaining muscle weight. And actually, about three months ago, he came to visit me in the clinic himself. So it's very, it, that is one of my most rewarding stories. Um, it just happened to have run to the do- into the daughter yesterday. That's why I remember that. What an inspiring story. And certainly it speaks to that multi-pronged approach, technology-based as well, to healthcare. And it seems as if that is the direction in which our system is going, don't you think? I absolutely agree. And I kind of, uh, I think there's, actually, I think there's a lot of uh, champions amongst the healthcare workers in the front lines. A lot of these home care nurses, um, you know, like physiotherapists, they're really out there to help the patients. They don't have the support structure to, um, if they have a concern, to raise it to the right 
uh, level um, to the right person. So sometimes their only default is, okay, I'm concerned about this patient. This patient is complex. All I can do is send the patient to the emergency department. And a lot of times just that transfer to the emergency department for these complex patients is very, very stressful. Whether they get the right care or not in an emergency department that doesn't really know the complexity of their medical condition is actually another story. So um, by coordinating them, and one of the major things we developed in the past 18 months with our program are a weekly, uh, we call them multidisciplinary rounds. So we uh, actually connect with the home care um, either frontline staff if they want to join, but the manager of home care in our hospital in Makam area, and one of the directors always comes just because she's nice, um, and the community paramedics, our, um, I, the clinicians from our clinic attend, and it's me and the nurses, and uh, we have a nurse practitioner who also goes uh, to homes and assesses patients at homes. Um, and we actually discuss the complex patients all together. So if there's an issue, the home care nurses have identified, they will hear our opinion, the community paramedics' opinions. And, um, you know, like we come up with solutions or we identify points where, okay, this is getting to a point that is dangerous. Let's intervene. What should we do? And the Markham Stova Hospital, the board of directors, uh, was very supportive of this idea, which um, there's no words to thank their, um, you know, sort of senior leadership and the board of directors. They've provided us with the uh, clinic space. So if somebody in our program is getting sick, we don't want them to go to the emergency department. We bring them to our own clinic. We do the treatment, um, whatever is needed, quickly, and we send them home, um, if safe, obviously, from the clinic. And this is something that we want to expand and uh, provide uh, sort of longer hours and uh, better level of care through these clinics. Now, Dr. Shafai, that story that you just shared certainly confirms your early findings that patients do better when they are treated in a familiar environment or in their home environment. Can you tell our listeners, as we wrap this up, where they can get more information about the Hospital to Home program? So uh, we are on the website of uh, Markham Silva Hospital, um, and it is uh, under the Care Transitions and Hospital to Home program. Um, there was, uh, uh, we were featured in an article in um, uh, um, one of the local Markham newspapers also. So if they just Google hospital to home Markham Stouffville Hospital, um, that's a place where they can get the information too. Dr. Shafai, thank you for your time and your commitment to this program. It sounds like um, a tremendous effort. Thank you very much. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com for a replay. Over to Jim Lang now and the project from York University, which tracks the play in a game of hockey. Well, hockey is our national game, and watching hockey is a national pastime. But some researchers at York University have made the art of watching hockey a little bit easier using state-of-the-art artificial intelligence. To talk more about it, thrilled to be speaking to Professor James Elder from York University's Center for Vision Research. Professor Elder, a pleasure. How are you? I'm great. How are you? 
Good. This is this is so exciting to me. I vividly remember in the mid '90s when Fox Sports came up with a glowing puck, and they were sort of mocked for that. But the technology of the mid 1990s is is almost crude compared to the technology of 2019. It has come a long way utilizing artificial intelligence to help us view sports and view hockey in a better way. Am I correct? Yeah, and of course we don't want to change the game in any way, right? We don't want to change the color of the puck or the color of the uniforms. But we just want to be able to give people who are watching the game remotely uh, you know, a better experience, an experience more like they were really there. Now, where, where did the emphasis or the impetus for this come from? Was there a, a moment where you were trying to watch a game on a mobile device or something and said there has to be a better way? Or how did this come to be that did you use all your experience intelligence to come up with this real innovative way to watch the game? That's a good question. So sort of several things came together. Um, you know, we, I uh, also study human vision, and um, humans are constantly moving their eyes in order to uh, put their fovea, where you have high resolution, on the things in the world of interest, right? Um, at the same time, we do computer vision systems and artificial intelligence, and we've been looking at a few different sports, uh, partly with some different companies in Ontario, um, sports, for example, like uh, like skiing um, and uh, and snowboarding, um, and uh, from there we got talking to a company that was um, putting video systems into ice rinks to uh, to allow people to watch games remotely. Um, but the the problem is that unless the uh, technology works well, the remote experience will not really be uh, satisfactory. So that's when we realized there was an opportunity to use our knowledge of artificial intelligence to uh, to deliver this technology. The technology is called Attentive Puck Tracking, APT, and it's being utilized now at the Canland Ice Sports Facility. That's common to, familiar with many people in the GTA who have played or watched any hockey in the area of the Kiel campus, the York University, the York Lions, varsity home games are using it. Um, when you started using it and people started to see the APT in action, Professor, what was some of the feedback you were receiving? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't, I should say, it hasn't um, gotten widespread distribution yet. We're, we have a system, as you say, installed at Canlan, um, and we're still, you know, improving it. Um, but the overall reaction has been very positive. It really um, mimics and, and has the same feel as an NHL broadcast, um, you know, where the camera pans uh, play quite well. One of the, you know, most critical tests is when you have a breakaway play, when most of the players are still, you know, at one end of the rink, but, you know, the puck and a couple of players are, are breaking away. And the system succeeds in you know, capturing that, which is obviously critical. If you miss that breakaway play, then the system's not very useful. For someone like you, it, it, there must be a certain joy in seeing this come from a, a, a thought and a theory to actual practical usage, like it's, it, it, although it's in its infancy, it's actually being utilized now. The whole process of going from a thought on paper to what it is now must have been quite a journey. Yeah, it's really fun. I mean, um, in research, of course, we we get pretty nerdy and you know we get pretty interested in, in theory, but of course, there's a huge payoff when we feel like that theory uh, can be used uh, in in something cool like this. And, um, you know, I think uh, there's a more, a broader technology here, which is 
addressing the fact that there's so much video now, there's so many video cameras in the world, um, but most of it really isn't used. And, and to make use of it, it really has to be curated in some way. You know, um, There has to be a, uh, an analysis of the video to extract the parts that are interesting and useful. Um, and there's no way that humans are going to be able to do that. There's just too much video. And so this is just one example of how you know, AI can be used to, to actually make better use of our, our, our video. I mean, I like the quote that it's a, it, using AI, artificial intelligence, to simplify and enrich our lives. It's being utilized now with the intent of puck tracking. Is it a technology that can translate to potentially other sports for other sports fanatics? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, the transfer from hockey to other field sports like uh, American football, um, soccer, um, are, you know, it's, it's pretty direct. Um, <clears throat> the system is um, based upon, a, upon deep learning, so it, is, it has to be trained, but the basic framework uh, could be transferred, and then there has to be additional training for those sports. Um, certainly, I, as I mentioned, we, we actually began looking at individual sports, and I think there's lots of opportunity there. Um, you know, one thing for, I'm actually right now at a, at, um, a conference that's at a ski resort and, um, you know, certainly, uh, young people who are in, uh, ski parks, you know, they, they want to see, um, their tricks, you know, uh, in replay. Yeah. Um, and so that's a great application. Yeah. Cause I think about that. I mean, kids and video games, the big, the most popular thing is the replay part of the, if they've done a big play in a video game, whether it's, you know, whatever it is. So to actually do it, if they're on the snowboard hill or ski hill, I could totally see an interest in that application. No, absolutely. And, you know, kids are really social and they, they not only want to see it, they want to post it, uh, share it with their friends. And um, I think it's fantastic. And, and uh, so that's a, a different kind of technology, but the same idea. You need to be able to track the person, you know, as they're doing the trip, they're moving very quickly. Um, or it's not, you know, it's, it's not really uh, going to be that interesting. This whole idea of the attentive puck tracking, Professor, is this also an indication of the, the I guess, the level of artificial intelligence that's being researched at York University and Canadian universities? Is Canada one of the countries in the forefront of this? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I think we've always had a strong uh, AI research community. Um, and then in the last... Um, six or seven years, what's happened is um, uh, an AI technology called deep learning has um, really come to fruition and has become um, strong enough to be really um, useful for a large range of applications from um, computer vision or video analytics, as in this case, but also to, you know, um, to voice, uh, voice analysis and speech recognition and so forth. Um, and I, you know, I have to say that um, one of the pioneers of that uh, particular brand of um, AI is, is Jeff Hinton, who um, uh, was a professor at the University of Toronto, and that really helped, I think, to um, to build up the AI community even further uh, in Canada. So now we have a lot of um, uh, activities going on to um, continue to grow that in Canada and also to transfer a lot of that research to uh, interesting applications and startups. Uh, my team has uh, formed a startup and are starting to work with um, 
an incubator system called Next AI in Toronto, where the goal is to you know, be able to take these this cool research and actually turn it into um, you know, products and companies. I think it, and it ultimately, as much as it's exciting for families and kids to see themselves um, playing hockey using this technology or coaches to use it to teach, it's also uh, opening all these doors, I think, and other possibilities. I'm sure if you're doing this, there might be other PhD students or other professors inspired as well, trying to utilize the AI technology to even be bigger and better things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, things are moving very quickly uh, in AI. And, uh, but on the other hand, there's just lots of opportunity, lots of, um, lots of different types of applications. So I think lots of room for a lot of uh, different kinds of innovation. And, and it's healthy, of course, to have lots of, uh, lots of competition. Well, Professor Elder, I know Kyle Dubas and Mike Babcock, they're, they love their technology, so okay. I wouldn't be surprised if pretty soon the Maple Leafs come knocking on your door to see if they can utilize some of this uh, at, attentive puck tracking to help the Leafs, because it's been a while since they've been in the Stanley Cup Finals, so anything that can help them, we're all for it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, totally legal. You can use AI to help improve your plan. Of course, that's, you know, that's part of the idea that um, at the sub-elite level, you know, the coaches would like to be able to um, you know, replay um, the uh, the games and uh, really be able to see what's going on. Um, you know, we do plan um, in the next months to uh, add to our technology additional uh, uh, coaching uh, abilities, you know, to be able to track individual players, to be able to analyze the statistics of movement and so forth. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've focused uh, initially on more on delivering an experience for uh, you know the fan, but but the uh, as a coaching tool, I think that's that's perhaps even a more powerful application. Well, it's very exciting to talk to you about this, Professor, and I think this is a, a real indication to the forefront of where technology and hockey or national sports sort of come together in a great little combination. And we're going to see a lot more of this, and this is becoming more and more mainstream. It's been a real pleasure. Professor James Elder from York University, uh, one of the geniuses behind something called the Attentive Puck Tracking, APT. Professor, a real pleasure. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Our next stop on the feed is the Russian Guide Publishing House in Richmond Hill. And joining us next is the President, Oleg Nikarikov. Mr. Nikarikov, thank you for joining us. Hi, hi. Good morning. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the Russian Guide Publishing House? What is it? Um, uh, the company uh, uh, we, uh, exists from uh, 2004, and we publish magazines and newspapers uh, for, for Russian-speaking community. Also, we um, do some projects on uh, Facebook, like on social networks. So it's more, mostly like a Russian-speaking cultural center. And where exactly are you located in Richmond Hill? Uh, in downtown of Richmond Hill, right across the Richmond Hill performance for the, art, uh, for the art. And can I ask, why did you choose Richmond Hill specifically as a hub to place the publishing house? Uh, because uh, nowadays, uh, Russian Hill became the center of Russian-speaking community. It means uh, not only Russians, uh, but it's uh, Ukrainians and uh, Jewish people and uh, uh, other people from the former Republic of the former USSR who can 
speak Russian and who can, who use Russian in their common life. And can you share with our listeners what magazines and newspapers do you publish? Do you share? Oh, uh, we have uh, more than 10 magazines and newspapers, which is a uh, Russian guide, uh, this lifestyle magazine, all about home. Aigish uh, Mama, which uh, uh, is designated for uh, Jewish community. It's uh, money, uh, it's property and finance, and it's be healthy. So all the lifestyle magazine, but uh, the uh, rule for all our magazines, we have no politics, uh, we have no uh, bad news, only good news, only lifestyle. <laughs> and in this digital age, do you think there's still a place for newspapers? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, I know that uh, now uh, more uh, readers are going to uh, Facebook, uh, like uh, to Internet. But uh, uh, if, you, uh, if you can see in the store, grocery stores and everywhere, there are a lot of uh, people who take them, our magazines and newspapers. So we increase our circulation and people read our magazines and newspapers even more than uh, in previous days. Uh, to newcomers, uh, to people who are looking for some services, for some news. And so is it a bit of a, a drop-in center where people can come in and enjoy the atmosphere and, and read newspapers and magazines? Yes, yes. Uh, also in our office, uh, we have a business center actually there, and uh, you, you can come and take the magazines and uh, relax uh, with a, a cup of coffee and uh, read the magazines and newspapers. And our magazines and newspapers are free, and you can pick it up in every Russian uh, store, grocery store, and even in such a no frills in, in the area of Richmond Hill and North Hill. And for our listeners who want more information about the Russian Guide Publishing House, where can they go? Uh, the website. We have a website, therussianguide.com, therussianguide.com. That's very simple and easy to get. TheRussianGuide.com. Thank you for joining us on the feed. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Our next couple of stories are a celebration of Black History Month. Afwaba starts us off. February is Black History Month in Canada. And coming up in just a few weeks, we have a wonderful event where it's going to bring all of the York Region uh, African-Canadian uh, family members and friends and allies and partners together to celebrate uh, this wonderful month. And to talk to me more about the event coming up, Joining me today is Anne-Marie Campbell, who is the Vice Chair for the York Region Alliance of African-Canadian Communities. Anne-Marie, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty well. Thank you for just connecting with us and giving us an opportunity to share. You know what? It's our pleasure, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. So let the listeners know. Talk to us about the event that's happening in just a few weeks. Right. So February 16th, 2019 our second annual Black History Month event. And this is an event that, again, has been put on by the York Region Alliance of African-Canadian Community. And the theme we have for our event is just celebrating the success of our Black families in York Region. And there's a focus this particular year on promoting Black youth excellence through mentorship. It's going to be a very exciting, very innovative um, Black History Month event with a lot of our partners across the region. Ooh, okay. So talk to us a little bit more about what we can expect on that day. 
So what you can expect, we have invited quite a number of our partners from the York Region School Board, both the Catholic and the um, York Region District School Board, the York Region Police Services, the business community, um, York Region CAS. These are quite a number of partners from us in the region. And so they will be in attendance. We have a very interesting, um, what's called a back a panel of influencers that will share their journey in the community. So you have that panel that will be very exciting, hosted by someone from CAF. We also have um, a very influential keynote speaker, Clovis Grant, from the, he's the chief executive officer from 360 Kids. So he would be very interesting to hear and just sharing the whole experience of mentorship for young people who will also be in attendance. Another interesting thing we're having, we are launching our um, youth mentorship program. These are for black youth, age 12 to 16. It's going to be exciting just to share one of the initiatives that we have in the region and invite our youth to be a part of this program and the Black History Month event. Awesome. Okay, so it looks like there's going to be a lot of things happening on February 16th, and um, it looks like something for everyone, right? Absolutely. We have some cultural performances. We have drumming, we have spoken word, we have our singers. So it's not just, right, you know, people talking. We have a lot of entertainment that is fused into all of that. It's going to be very engaging, very entertaining. We also include as a part of this what we call uh, a marketplace. So we want to um, sort of expose black businesses across the region. And so we have invited quite a number of um, business participants to come and set up tables. So, you know, our attendees will be able to just sample and to see what is happening in our community across the region. We'll also have some service community organizations in attendance who will also be setting up tables, such as basic kids. We'll also have York Region Police, York Region AIDS Committee, York Region CAS. So it is going to be a very engaging, very interesting event. Perfect. Okay. So, um, and I love how you mentioned that there's there's something from for everyone, um, from the arts to to food, which is what I love. But um, oh, um, it's yes. something for everything <laughs> for everyone rather. So that's really great. Also, talk to me about how important it is to highlight the journeys of those who have been in York Region um, within the African-Canadian community and how important it is to highlight them, especially during this time of month. Absolutely. We're focusing on our youth, and so they need to be able to see role models, right? And so that is one of the reasons why we want to focus this month, bring the youth in, bring leaders and influencers in our community so that they can see themselves represented. And that's one of the key things that we'll take away from this Black History Month. And as we launch the mentorship program and we invite youth in, because we're also looking for mentors for youth. So this is an opportunity for them to come in and see what's happening, right? And seeing themselves represented is phenomenal. For example, we know um, one of our panelists is um, just recently appointed as one of the York Region Police Chief. So he's one of our panelists. So that's some of the key things that we want to bring across to our youth. Right. Okay. And um, since you are vice chair of the Alliance, talk to me about how you've seen over the years the organization uh, bringing together the York Region community. Okay, absolutely. One of the key things that we have done in the region is advocacy on behalf of members of our community. 
So we're out there advocating for um, our community youth, whether it's in the school, whether it's in the justice system, um, through CAS. And so through that advocacy, we have created partnership with, and I keep mentioning the York Region Police Services, the school boards. And so our goal is to let the community know that we as an organization are in the community, because a lot of people may not know of us, and the word is getting out. And I'm thanking you for this opportunity to even get it further, that there's an organization in the community that is standing and advocating for the community and creating partnership. And so also then, let's help the listeners too. Um, then for those who may not know, talk to me a little bit about the York Region Alliance of African-Canadian Communities. How was it birthed? And um, what uh, basically do you do or do you provide to the African-Canadian community and as well as maybe the York Region community um, in general? Sure. So the York Region Alliance, it's a non-profit organization since 2016. And it basically was established to build what you call an inclusive and effective community-based entity in York Region, right? We said our vision is a cohesive and influential York Region African Canadian community. Um, And some of the things that we do, we mentioned through advocacy, we do resource development, a lot of service. For example, we bring in um, businesses together and expose business in the community. We're involved in education and mentorship. Uh, employment opportunities. We want to be and we have been that space where uh, anyone in the community can call us and we can point them to where they can, um, whatever the need that they have, they can call us and we can point them in that direction. So that kind of service that we provide for the community. Right? We have connections with our, whether it's in the governmental representative. At this event, for example, we'll have representative from the member of parliament not just representatives, they will be there, Mayor, the mayors will be there, the deputy chiefs will be there, councillors from the region will be at our Black History Month event. So we sort of provide that sort of uh, connection to the, um, the service organizations and the community. They can contact us. For residents maybe who want to know more about the event happening on February 16th, where can they go for more information? And then also, too, if they want more information about the organization, where can they go? Oh, absolutely. So our website is yorkregionaacc.ca, yorkregionaacc.ca, and we have quite a lot of information there. We also have registration for this event, information on this event, which is, again, Saturday, February 16th at 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., and it's at the Thornley Secondary School in Bayview. You can also contact me. My name is Anne-Marie, again, 647 to eight zero nine eight seven nine, or send an email to info at yorkregionaes.ca. Awesome. I love it. And I love how you put everything in there. So we make sure that nothing is left out, that the residents <laughs> have you. all the information that they need, right? Yes, thank you. All right. Awesome. Anne-Marie, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me uh, about the organization, educating me as well and the listeners. And we hope that it's going to be a beyond successful event on February 16th. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Joining us next in studio is Harriet Bennett from the Genesis Advanced Performing Arts Society and Gregory Anderson from Remember the 400. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having Thanks us, for Tina. Having us. Harriet, let's start with you. What is Genesis all about? 
Genesis Advanced Performing Arts Society was founded in 2005 by a playwright, Dora Amore Award winner, Shadrach Porter. And uh, we tell stories of a lost culture, particularly the children of slavery, through song, dancing, and theatrical performances. Can you tell us a little bit about your past productions? Some of our past production is In the Mind of a Child, Shadow of the Slave, and The Journey. And we're going to learn more about The Journey a little bit later on in our conversation. But uh, Gregory, tell us about Remember the 400. What is that? Remember the 400, it's an organization that was put together to really bring an awareness on what happened in 1619 when the first slave arrived in Hampton, Virginia. So this happened 400 years ago, and what we're doing on August 23rd, 2019, is commemorating the 400th anniversary of that arrival. And Harriet, how are we commemorating that anniversary? What exactly is happening in Virginia? We'll be having the journey, like we just said, um, and we'll be having a series of different productions, um, actually workshops that day, that entire weekend. And we'll be having a youth expo, and the journey is going to be portraying characters from slavery and the trials and the tribulation that we've been through and our ancestors been through and how they've been from country to countries and Canada being that safe haven for them. And, and Gregory, what exactly is Remember the 400? Is it a group that is just here in York Region or in the greater Toronto area? Or is it something that is uh, prevalent or has chapters across the country? What is it? Yeah, we definitely have chapters. There's a Toronto chapter. We have a chapter in England. Uh, we have chapters in, throughout the United States. Um, it's just a, it's a real active organization. And we're really trying to bring a lot of awareness and attention to this event that we're doing in Hampton, Virginia. And so tell us about the event and why it was so important to create an event um, to commemorate this anniversary. Why was it so important? I went through, I myself went through the public school system and I studied history, but I never learned, I never heard a lot about my own history here. So for me personally, with, with this event, it's imperative for me to really get as much attention as I can because the journey tells the story of the journey really tells our story um, with music and dance and a lot of theatrics. And Harriet, what did you learn about this story? Because this wasn't something that you grew up learning about, I'm assuming. No, um, no, I never grew up learning about it. However, awareness came to me at least about 20 years ago when I started to learn my true culture, who who I am as an individual, particularly black, and the stories are of our ancestors or forefathers and the different things that they've been through for us to be here, even to sit and to have a conversation with you today and that we can bond um, with different cultures and stuff like that. So... Um, I was very excited. I was very happy to learn because I wanted to spread this truth. I want my family and my friends and whoever I can get to to tell them about who we are as a people. And we do have a culture and we do have a history. And um, that's why I'm here today. And I'm with Genesis Advanced Performing Arts Society to help to get that message across to the world and as much as possible as we can get it out. And how do you tell that story through art, through dance, through performance? How do you do that? 
um, what um, what we do, uh, what Shadrach Porter did is he um, took various different characters from back then, like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X is going to be part of it, um, poetry, song, dancing, and the people and where they came from and their roots. So you learn about your roots and who you are through the journey. And they singing, they dancing, you'll be crying, some will be laughing. They have different highs and lows of this production. Um, the greatest thing that I understand and you will learn is the roots of who you are as a black culture. Yeah. Now, you're doing fundraising to help with this event and with this production. How can our listeners donate and participate and support? Uh, I usually go to GoFundMe and I put in... Uh, the journey 2019 and it pops right up and that's where I go and I send all my um, friends and family to donate to uh, the GoFundMe page because it helps us to um, get everything that we need to go down to Virginia and put on such a grand event uh, for that entire weekend. And Gregory, why was it important for you to be involved in Remember the 400 and being part of this group and being part of the event in Virginia? Why did you want to do it? Oh, it's just a very significant part in my own personal history. Um, at this time, like I'm a person that should be doing that because it happened to me, happened to my family. It's it's my ancestry. So it's it's just something that's within me to do. And I'm just going to be doing it with all my might and just draw a lot of attention to um, this cause. For our listeners who want more information about Remember the 400, where can they go? They can go online at rememberthe400.com. Everything they need to know will be there. And Harriet, what about for the Genesis Advanced Performing Arts Society, if our listeners want more information about that group? Um, that's thegapas.com, T-H-E-G-A-P-A-S.com. And everything, like Greggy said, would be there on both Remember the 400 as well as the journey. Good luck with this event, and thank you both for joining us. Thank you so much, Tina. Thanks for having us. That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.